Hello, and welcome to Why Choose Reads, where we say why love one when you can love them all. I'm your host, Why Choose Romance author, Sunny Hart, and I'm thrilled to be here today with fellow author, Amy Nova. Thanks so much for being here, Amy. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. All right, let's dive in. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with writing. Oh, oh. Um, so I've been writing my entire life. Um, and like I, I got, was first published at 16 for winning like an international essay composition about a field trip I took to Hiroshima as when I was like 16. Right. Um, so then throughout my college career, I majored in politics. I worked overseas. I was a diplomat. Um, then I got into marketing and communications and all of that is essentially storytelling because it's connecting people with ideas or people with other people. And in essence, all of that is storytelling. So as I went through my career, like it was all writing, whether it was marketing, writing, creating websites, store, uh, you know, customer avatars. Um, I ghost wrote a lot, ghost written, ghost wrote, ghost. <laughs> Goes, I wrote a lot of content for other people, like their business books or their marketing blogs, that sort of thing. And um, people always told me that, you know, uh, you should write your own book, put your own stuff out there. You tell great stories. So one day this uh, witch popped into my head and I just started asking questions about, well, why did she run away? And the story just kind of like ran away with itself. So that's when I created um, the, the first book in the world that I have created now. But even before that, um, uh, not to get like... <laughs> Not to get weird, but um, a whole bunch of very bad things happened in my life all at the same time, and uh, which included my father passing away. And it was very sudden and very tragic and very terrible. And then I was NaNoWriMo like three weeks later. Oh and God. I was like, I'm just going to sit down and write. And I didn't stop writing until I had 140,000 words on the page. Right. So I just trauma dumped into this first like book that turned into the first trilogy. And that's now been like backburnered um, for a bunch of reasons we can talk about, it, but it's not necessarily important. But through that process, I realized that I actually enjoy this whole process of creating a world and a universe and the characters that live in them and how they get themselves into trouble and get themselves out of trouble. So that's kind of how my latest like writing journey started. Oh, I love that. Yeah. No, I also resonate with kind of always having written and everything. And so it just almost as a way, like you said, you process the world around you. Mm -hmm. I think like, in, particularly as a fiction author, you can like test stuff out on the page that um, maybe you don't have the courage to do in real life. Or like if X events happens, like how would this character process it and then compare it against how you would process it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of things you can work out for yourself and discover about yourself on the page. Oh my gosh, yes. I'll never forget um, when I was first started writing I attended a Carnegie, like the Carnegie Center here, um, did this, it was during COVID, they did this presentation, a bunch of female romance authors, and one of the questions posed to them was, "Do are your characters part of yourself? And Ooh. all of them answered no. And I was like, for me, each of my characters has like that small part of me that I embed in them, that like you know, you crack your chest mm -hmm. open a little bit on some of them and you put that piece in there, but they all answered no. And I just remember thinking, like, what about that story draws you in then? Mm. Like, That's interesting. I wonder if that response is like, it's like a trained response because like there's this impression that you shouldn't write yourself into your work, but I don't see how you can't. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like my own, um, there, there are things, uh, things that happen in my own life that because of how, because of, because of how I believe certain things that will never appear in my writing. Yeah. Right. Like, um, I personally dislike the pregnancy trope, like yeah. with a passion. So I will <laughs> never write a pregnancy story. I also don't like coming out stories personally for me. I think they are incredibly valuable for people to, see and live vicariously um, good queer coming out experiences and process their trauma or their joy on the page too. But I am uninterested in those stories. So I won't put those stories into my book. But then there are other things that I get to explore in like new and exciting ways. Like, I I don't know, like I I was recently writing about, um, I write Omegaverse, some Omegaverse, some Paranormal Y2s. So when you're in that pack dynamic, what is it actually like to have um, uh, like romantic or sexual feelings for someone who is not a part of your pack? And how does that all go down? So it gives me like this amazing like sandbox to test out, um, not necessarily if these things happen to me because like we're not in an Omegaverse, but Mm -hmm. um, like what is this side of our personality or or humanity? What do they do in those kind of situations? But I mm-hmm. think authors are so often trained to say or feel that they have to have distance between them and their work because that's just what authors are supposed to do. You're not supposed to write about, write yourself into your own world. Yeah. And I just, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. So on the why choose genre? Obviously, it's a very unique genre. How'd you get into that? You know, what drew you to that one? Um, wow, that's like a big loaded question. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so personally, in my own life, I um, have always had a problem with monogamy. Um, I didn't fully understand it. And I have problems with the concept of marriage from a historical perspective, yeah. right? Um, when you look at the history of marriage, marriage is often uh, is first and foremost a business agreement and then a spiritual ing- agreement, right? So as a business agreement, women are often treated like property, right? They were the thing that was to be acquired, fought for, stolen, and then pledged to a man and all the fruits of her labor, literally from her labor and the things that she can create with her hand belong to that man, right? Mm-hmm. So I always kind of had like this weird problem with that when I, uh, when I was younger and as I was like gaining age and experience. And um, I could never understand for myself how you could treat love as a finite resource, right? Like you only have this amount of love to give and that all has to live with one person. Like we don't expect parents to say that they can only love a certain number of children, right? If you um, bring another child into your life, your capacity to love expands, Mm-hmm. So why is it that we can experience different kinds of love, but romantic love is absolutely finite and you cannot, you can only love one person at a time. That always felt really ridiculous to me. So um, I have been in poly, uh, polyamorous and non-monogamous relationships pretty much from the start. Not like, not like my, my personal relationships have flowed in and out of monogamy and polyamory, right? But 
when you're sitting down to write a book and you want to have a grand adventure, why not have options? (laughs) Why not choose? Uh Like you don't, you don't have to, like, I, I, I've never, I was never a fan of the love triangle because of that. Right. I think the love triangle creates, (laughs) I think the love triangle creates some really juicy and delicious tension. But at the end of the day, I was always like, you should have chose the other guy, right? The the heroine never chooses the guy I think she should choose. (laughs) Right. And like, she just, she just never does. So in my, like, that's my experience with reading love triangle books at the end of it is always, why did you choose just have both? Exactly. They both want you. Right. And I feel like in why choose books, there's always that moment, maybe like more in contemporary why choose where they're like, oh, I can't have them all. And someone's like, well, yeah, you can. And then the love triangles, I feel like there's always that moment where she's, where they're like, or she's like, I can't have both. And they're like, no, you have to choose. And I'm like, no, you don't have to choose. You could literally have both. <laughs> like have an honest com- like conversation about it, but like have both. <laughs> and I think that was like so much fun in exploring writing my first Omegaverse where there is never that choice. Yeah. Right. Like it come like if you're a female Omega in the Omegaverse, you absolutely know there will be multiple men in your life or mm-hmm. women. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just that's just how it's going to go. So I don't ever have to have the conversation on page or with my readers or justify to people who are picking up my work why this person is having a relationship with multiple people at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another uh, Y2 series that I'm working on where that absolutely is going to become a question for the heroine, right? She has already fallen in love with one love interest and two more are going to crop out of, up out of nowhere. It's kind of like a Build-A-Bear uh, Y2 <laughs> where she like comes across love interests and picks them up along the way. Yep. Um, so she's absolutely going to have that conversation with herself and someone will pose like, you don't have to fucking choose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, so it's been like a really super interesting experience writing both of those perspectives where one character feels very limited that, you know, she has to choose. There's only, you know, you can only have one lover kind of thing. And then this other world where it, the, na- the standard and the norm and it's expected that you are going to have multiple love interests. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. Um, I have a paranormal series and then I have a just wrote a contemporary one. And yeah. the difference is in kind of like what the fantasy to you get like the omega verse and the paranormal i feel like you get a little bit more of like flexibility there and then the contemporary like you said the idea of monogamy has been so rooted in our culture for so long like that you have to jump through a little more hoops in your characters and explaining them um a little bit uh completely off topic well legas related have you heard um paris paloma's song labor is big on tiktok is that the one yes is that the one where the video is like all these women in a field you yeah. make me do too much labor is that the thought yep yep, yep. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. absolutely my head all day so i feel like it's so fitting that i'm now having this conversation with you and everything Right. And I think that we're in just like an interesting place in our society right now where we can have conversations about um, like why choose experiences or non-monogamous experiences in our actual real lived lives. And it is not not forbidden. 
right? It's, it's still like, it's still not the norm, obviously, but it um, people are coming around to that conversation. And with like the divorce rates and like the traditional church falling aside, like I think people are now in stepping into a space where they can explore that. And that exploration often happens on the page first. Yeah. Oh, in the fiction that you read. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fiction that you read and then um, I know for me especially during COVID a lot of like I grew up very traditionally Catholic um, me too very conserv- <laughs> family. My, my family hasn't read my books yet I'm open for them reading them but I think that'll be a whole different what's the um oh the John Mulaney video clip that's always like not unless everyone gets real cool with a lot of things real quick. real fast I literally <laughs> had that conversation I posted that video clip and I was like dudes my first book is coming out and and like we're not gonna have to, there's biting there's fighting there yeah. like, I don't want to have this conversation with you if you really want to though yeah <laughs> You're going to have to get cool about a lot of stuff real fast. Everyone is gay. So right. just be prepared for that. <laughs> Starting there. Yep. Yeah. And um, so it's been really interesting to explore that, not only on the page, but then um, I think really TikTok for me was a big like opening into like just other people's lives and culture and like relationships. And as someone that was very sheltered, <laughs> it was like I slowly started to get like have all these experiences, but then it really did come to, like you said, you start with what you read on the page and, you know, and just this idea and books, books blow your mind. I say that all the time and everything. And they, the good ones will just challenge you to think about things differently. I think sometimes as, I think sometimes romance authors get a little bit of a rep, like, oh, you just write light fluffy. No, we write, you know, crack your heart open, have real conversations with the people around you in between the romance plot on the page. Right. Here, you know what? This is the thing that just like burns my fucking biscuits about this whole, <laughs> like, you know, this bias against romance authors. So, mm-hmm. so as like an aside, right? First of all, traditional publishing would not be able to fund itself without the multi-billion billion yeah. dollar romance industry. The money that, uh, you know, your science fiction author gets for his advance comes from the bread and butter of fucking romance yep right we literally fund all of publishing mm-hmm. all of it us yep. and like the barack obamas of the world um who sell you know billions of copies of yep. books yeah so that's one thing that that burns my biscuits the other thing is that every single piece of fictional literature is a romance yep Mm-hmm. all of it your hardcore mm-hmm. science fiction to your steampunk stuff to like your horror it's all a romance the romance may not necessarily be between two people right yeah. like mm-hmm. if you look at the hunger games in terms of romance there are romances that happen inside the book but the capital versus um katniss is also a romance mm-hmm. the capital is absolutely romancing katniss everdeen right yep and it's a tragic love story, right? It does not, it does not well, end well for anybody involved, right? Nope. But that is also a romance. So every fic- uh, like science fiction or fantasy story out there is a romance between two elements, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like how people like just rag on the romance genre in general pisses me off and blows my mind. Right. Because romance is relationships, you know, mm-hmm. in every character has relationships in your story i mean whether you write like you said science fiction or whether you write why choose like if you have characters in your story you have relationships absolutely should like if you don't there's other problems 
problems there. But like, if you have more than two characters or more than one character in your book, it's a relationship and that means Mm -hmm. there's a romance in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. So tell us a little bit more about your romance books. You mentioned you have an Omegaverse and you have a second book that you alluded to as well. So tell us a little bit more about the overview of both of them. So the first book that I published is called Accidental Vampire, and it is about the main main character, Tiffany, who accidentally gets turned into a vampire. Um, And the setup setup for that story is she gets fired because she's not pretty enough, right? She has a, 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 a new boss comes into her world who wants to present a particular aesthetic to the higher ups. And she is apparently not pretty enough for the job. Right. Um, So he steals her work and, and fires her essentially. So now she's got to hustle for um, like to make rent. Right. She's still paying off her student loans. Um, She just got a master's degree in library science. Right. So she's hustling. So uh, she winds up, um, uh, taking like what she thinks is a catering gig um, at this very exclusive private club with very wealthy people. Then our uh, male protagonist is Lachlan, who is uh, who is a vampire. He's a couple hundred years old. Uh, he's like a, he's like two hundred years old. Um, who is in uh, a pit of despair? His maker, like the guy who turned him into a vampire, has has died was killed oh. and um, because of the bond between them with that bond severing he is unable to move past that and is grieving and doing really not great things because of it <laughs> um, so they're thrown together in the hallway during this party um, he thinks that she's a vampire and is offering like solace and comfort to him in the form of her neck he bites her accidentally kills her and that's how the story starts Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So he accidentally turns this girl into a vampire, falls in love with her, and then he has to like bring her around. And um, there are threats from other people in the vampire world that he ha- now has to protect her from. Um, and she's got to grapple with uh, being dead, essentially. <laughs> so that's yeah. how the first book starts. And the plan for that book is that it is, it's a trilogy and um, uh, she will encounter two other men in the course of that novel um, and another group of vampires who uh, she, uh, we dive into the whole fa- found family trope. Um, so she not only creates like these romantic relationships, but really a family structure. And um, they are pitted against like the vampire queen of New York who wants Lachlan for herself um, and is not above murder and mayhem to get what she wants. So the first book, Accidental Vampire, was completed in February, I think, March, February, March, March, I published it right around my birthday. Um, (laughs) And then I got sucked into Omegaverse. Um, I I put out my first Omegaverse called Ruined Alphas in June. Um, and that is part of a shared universe called the Poisonverse. So um, it's a, a world that we co-created. Um, the original author um, uh, put out two books. Then there was a third book by a second author minus the fourth book. And the series is going on from there. All the books are like standalone. Um, stories inside this universe and there are opportunities where things cross over and characters pop up in other people's books and things um, but it's a super fascinating world and how we like played with the ma- what the magic or the rules inside of our, our megaverse and how um, packs and bonds work so that was the second novel that I put out um, so I did a why choose um, that's kind of build a bear style so she'll ac- encounter other men as she goes along and then this uh, omegaverse why choose I love that. I love that. Um, so when you're 
when you're kind of building these characters in your head, is there a specific trait that comes to you first? Are you, for me, it's like a piece of dialogue. Like I could build a whole book around like a specific scene of dialogue in my head, like the banter between these two characters. Is that something like what, what kind of, where do you get your inspiration for the character? Yeah. So oftentimes like there is one thing that I need for the whole character to click into place. Right. Sometimes that's a name or it's a, a line of dialogue or um, like a setup, like, like a scene that happens in my head that looks, you know, like I could, like I could pluck it out of my head and it's a, a Polaroid. And then I can tell you everything that happens in that scene. So for different characters that happens differently with um, my uh, female protagonist in accidental vampire, it was, the absolute desire to tell a really terrible joke an absolutely <laughs> terrible joke um and like the whole like her whole character is just constructed around like being able to pull off this one stupid joke so <laughs> like backstory i was raised by a computer programmer and a medieval historian Okay. (laughs) So dinner at our house growing up was often like us discussing the Black Plague, right? That was not unusual. Um, So, and we all just have like, because of that, we have like a fascination with like the Tudor court, um, medieval history, like all these like weird, like little... Uh, vignettes of the of history in the past, right? And so there are common bits that have gone on in our, our family. And one was names, right? And how names that sound really modern are actually very historical. And one of those names, like I'm, I'm an 80s baby, right? Every other girl that grew up in that time period was either Jennifer or Tiffany. And the yep. running joke in our house was like, Tiffany is actually a medieval man's name. So I wanted to create, like, if you're going to have vampires who lived throughout the ages, of course, they're going to have, like, running bits throughout history. So the one bit that I wanted to pull off is, um, like, this is the scene that popped into my head, and all of the characters developed out of the scene. Mm -hmm. So the vampires are sitting around, you have a brand new vampire who's trying to figure this all out, right? And she introduces herself, saying, I'm Tiffany, and they laugh at her. They're like, what kind of fucking name is Tiffany for a vampire? And then another character says, well, you know, Tiffany's actually a medieval name and gives like spews off this history about the name Tiffany. And then how it was, um, you know, became the surname of this jewelry magnet um, and then became super popular in the in the uh, in the 80s. Another vampire character walks in and is like, yeah, Tiffany, I ate a Tiffany back in like 1502. Right. That was the whole scene that came into play. So with that, I had like my main character. I had all these like side characters that came to life inside that conversation. So that like the desire to pull off this really dumb fucking joke (laughs) was how my characters developed for Accidental Vampire. Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. For for Ruined Alphas, the Omega Verse, um, there are so the first book in the series is called um, Havoc Killed Her Alpha. And the, ca- the female character is Havoc in that book. And she tells a story about her brother, right? Where her brother wanted to protect her from something. And uh, her his, his desire to protect her led their father to kicking them out of the house. Mm, right? Okay. And... I was really, I don't know why, but I was really struck by that whole, that one tiny scene. It's only like five paragraphs long where she retells the story of her brother being kicked out and how he used to make her pancakes, right? And that, like, kind of left me on this, this, like, toddler experience of asking why, 
right? Like, well, why did he get kicked out? How would he survive 16 years old all by himself, right? So it just started like all these questions about like, what would, what happened to Luther and where is Luther now? Because it's been like 10 years since that experience, right? So developing the characters for that, it, like it started with Luther and who he was and, and what kind of person would fall in love with him. And that's how I developed the whole convert the the, the 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 characters inside that book. The characters in that book, though, they fought me a little bit to come to life, right? And it wasn't until I figured out that the la- that like the tragic past life of one of the members of the pack, um, and why he didn't want to have an omega, that the whole pack like congealed together. And what the, the thing was that they as a unit had to overcome to be able to have love in their lives. Yeah, I love that. Oh, well, I'm having so much fun this conversation, but we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back <laughs> after a few short advertisements. But listeners, do not tune out just yet. These advertisements are for more Why Choose Reads, and you won't want to miss adding to your never-ending TBR list. So we'll be back. Next is Tawny Oakland's How to Train Your Harem series in the first book, To Call the Clouds. Hey listeners, now we're bringing you from the How to Train Your Harem series, the first book by Tawny Oakland to call the clouds. Dragons are real, and that changes everything. Maggie's nine-to-five existence takes an unexpected turn when she finds herself in a world of fantasy and magic she didn't know existed. With a sarcastic dragon riding on her shoulder, she embarks on a new adventure to get her life back on track. Seeking clarity and solitude while wintering in an isolated mountain cabin, Maggie discovers she may not be as alone as she thinks. The shadows are alive. Can Maggie learn to trust and find love in their dark embrace? What kind of future can she have with a curse controlling their lives? When danger comes from an unexpected source, will the shadows break free in time to save Maggie? Or will tragedy return them to the darkness forever? Despite the cute dragon on the cover, this book is intended for audiences 18+. plus. Actually, I'm going to cut that last line out. And I'll just end it with uh, To Darkness Forever. And then, so check out To Call the Clouds from How to Train Your Harem series by Tawny Oakland. And now back to the podcast. And now we're back with Amy and we're, let's dive back into our conversation. So we were just yeah. talking about characters um, and how you develop them. And I love all that about it. I know a lot of authors will mention that sometimes their characters like throw out like a surprise from left field that kind of completely changes the way the story goes. Has there been a moment in your stories where that's happened or a favorite moment if it's happened a lot (laughs) absolutely like characters are notorious for like doing their own thing sometimes right Mm -hmm. and like us as authors tell that to like people who are not authors and they think that's insane but it's Uh completely true (laughs) they have their own lives and do what they want Uh they don't listen sometimes (laughs) i think like in ruined alphas um 
there's a character named Jackson in Ruined Alphas who is like the protect the the sunshine to the pack's grumpy, right? He is absolutely he is the very definition of a fuckboy, right? <laughs> and um he is uh very he has a very sunny disposition. He's always looking on the bright side of things. He's always just wants to push forward and get to like mm-hmm. the good stuff, right? What surprised me was absolute bloodthirsty ruthlessness on his part and i did not fucking anticipate that down to like how he created his pack right Uh like i had to try to figure out how he um so inside this pack um it's the the uh in ruined alphas there is um an omega terrorist and a pack is sent to bring her to justice um but through that they discover that they're actually scent matched so they're faded yeah so inside my pack it's it's four men inside the pack um and inside that there are uh two of the pack members talon and jackson have a pre-existing relationship between the two of them so it's an mmfmm romance so as i was like trying to figure out how they met and how their relationship developed and how this pack of really on paper people who should not go together but go who go together how that got all created and it's because jackson is a ruthless slut right like he <laughs> it, it is uh, he met uh talon his love in uh, his his partner when he was 16 and talon was like 20 or 22 and talon said absolutely not come back in four years like you're underage yeah. and it was the first time in his life ta- someone had had told jackson no <laughs> Right, because he's very spoiled, very privileged. He's very arrogant, but yeah. like, so he told him no. So he went on to become like he uh, went through his education, went through uh, like the police academy, graduated at top of his class because it was only the person at the top of the class who gets to choose their assignment. So that was his goal for four years, and then he like joined Talon's like strike force. <laughs> um, so like Jackson's absolute fucking ruthlessness in getting everything that he wants um, for the benefit of his pack, even if his pack doesn't think it's the best choice. Yeah. Right. Oh my god! So, it. and that's like the premise of how the story starts: is he is out on a job, like he's doing surveillance, right? He's tracking yeah. um a, a, a an underworld figure through like a crowded pedestrian mall when mm-hmm. he catches his scent matches scent, mm-hmm. right? Um, and but he's on the job, so he has to like figure out this whole way of like legitimately introducing himself to her. So. Yeah. He, he gets someone to steal her phone and clone it. He has uh, computer skills. So he like tracks her down, cyber stalks her, right? Finds out her whole life is stalking her for months on end before he can like arrange a fake meeting between them. Oh my God. Right. And so like the, his absolute ruthlessness in loving his pack absolutely surprised me. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that though. What a delicious surprise. Like that is. It was pretty great. Yeah. Um, so when you're writing, are you more of a plotter or are you more of a pantser when it comes to your stories? I'm a plotter. I'm much more of a plotter. I find that um, if I if I don't have a plan when I sit down at the keyboard, like it 
stuff doesn't flow as well. If I know the destination I'm trying to get to, then I can start working that out. I may take detours. I may move the goalposts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I find that for like my own mental health, <laughs> um, so that I don't wind up with like waking up and there's 140,000 words on the page and the story's <laughs> only half done, right? Um, I find that I do need to plot things out to a certain extent. You know, sometimes it can be as loose as you have to figure out how these three people get alone in a room together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then um, I'll have to go on a journey to like figure that out. Sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes it is incredibly meticulous. So when I sat down for one NaNoWriMo project, um, I was writing uh, in my vampire world is a my vampire books are in a, set in a much bigger world that started with a witch book. Right. Mm-hmm. When I sat down to write that book, I think I had something like 12,000 words in an outline. I oh. knew every single scene that was to happen. And like, I kicked out 50,000 words in that book in like, I don't know, something like 17 days. Right. Yeah. Um, just because everything was so well planned and I just opened my document and was like, Oh, this is the scene that I have to write today. Yeah. Yeah, Um, no, it's definitely a plotter as well. And I do it by scene. Sometimes it's like three sentences of like, do this. But sometimes it's like, yeah, those those outlines can can be their own set of 10, 20,000 words. (laughs) I tend to to plot inside a spreadsheet now. Mm, Um, Rather... Yeah, rather than in a document. And I kind of use the structure like uh, uh, from Save the Cat, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a spreadsheet that lays out all the different story elements inside Save the Cat. And I have like a little calculation that tells me roughly how long each, like if I want to write an 80,000 word book, mm-hmm. this is the length that all these different elements inside the story needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I have yeah. that mapped out into a spreadsheet so that I can then look and be like, okay, so again, like I have to get these three people alone in the room for the midpoint of the book to happen. And I have to accomplish that in 18 scenes yeah that are at least 800 words so how am I going to go about that so I tend to plot inside spreadsheets now yeah I like that yeah I'm I usually use save the cat sometimes I usually start out and just dump the story then I go back and like make sure I've got all the save the cat kind of like flowing through there (laughs) but it was interesting so I learned about it after my first book but when I went back and matched the scenes in my first book, it matches like almost yeah. pretty quickly. I mean, it's pretty brilliant in that um, it is it is how modern stories are told. However, I am seeing like this really interesting new trend where, um, so in the Save the Cat is a three-act structure where the second act is actually in two parts, right? So, it's, so you could consider it a four-act structure, right? So the first act is all about, um, and it's the hero's journey or the Save the Cat model. It's all about um, the, the status quo life. Life as your hero knows it to be. And then something happens that causes is a dramatic shift, a catalyst, right? That uh, that presents an opportunity that your hero either has to accept or decline, and, and upon accepting it, changes their life irrevocably. Changes their life, so and they go. <laughs> Right. Um, but what I'm noticing now is that there are stories that start at the catalyst. And that's what I did with um, with Ruined Alphas, is that I started the story at the catalyst, which is the moment that um, my female protagonist meets one of the members of her pack. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens like he's hunting down the terrorist, and the terrorist is his is his sense is his faded bait. Yeah. <laughs> up, right? So, um, so that is the actual catalyst of the story. And then I spend oh. the rest of the first act backfilling all of my act one information, so that the mm-hmm. story starts off with high octane, like immediately shit is blowing up, right? And people are dying, and you absolutely know that the crisis is, uh, you know, the star crossed the terrorist and the terrorist hunter are now sent matched what the fuck do you do about that right so i i have started with the catalyst for that and then backfilled all my act one and then moved into act two from there and i've noticed that other stories are taking that on like fourth wing i think does it there's a couple other stories too that skip that whole first act and start right at the adventure you know call to adventure and um i think uh, I really like that. I, I think it builds r- super engaging stories and it gets people yeah. sucked in because you are already inside the main conflict on mm-hmm. page one. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're already there and then you can kind of go back and build from mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I love that. So when you are like in the thick of the drafting process, you know, how do you kind of refill the creative well, so to speak? What are your favorite activities for that? Oh my God, that is so hard. Um, <laughs> yes. Like it really is so hard, right? Um, sometimes, like I hate to say it, but sometimes you, hmm, how do I put this? So I can be a very not woo, 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 woo kind of person, right? Mm-hmm. Like I do believe in inspiration and like, communication with your muse right i do believe that you can tap into this well of creative energy that almost exists outside of yourself mm-hmm. and i also believe at the same time that um this is a job and you absolutely can create creative masterpieces like you don't have to wait for inspiration mm-hmm. right you can train yourself to create and create on very quickly on short deadlines especially if there's a paycheck at the end of the day yep. right um when i was doing a lot of marketing writing um, which is a, which is a different type of creativity mm-hmm. right i would have to do um I counted once. I think I did the the highest I ever clocked in in a single week was like 20, 30,000 words, something like that, right? Which is writing all day, every day. And um, you have to be able to tap into your own creativity on demand like that yeah. when you're like getting paid. And I think the same thing goes as an author that you can sit back and wait for inspiration or you can generate inspiration for yourself. And I think... Um, I think burnout happens a lot for people when they realize that when they kind of think that their own creativity is a finite resource, Mm -hmm. right? So when I need to refill my wells, I do something that is absolutely not writing. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, and like when I dive into like a, a craft or an art, I like dive into it all the way. Right now I am completely obsessed with sprayed book edges, right? So like doing my own sprayed books and they're fucking beautiful and so and ridiculously fun to do and uh, like diving into materials and paints and different techniques and experimenting with that um, mm-hmm. is, is something that um, like I'm in a, a, a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a valley in my creative process right now and taking the time to like just give myself over to exploring a different area of art that uses different parts of my creative brain has refilled my well and has brought me back to my keyboard um, with higher levels of production than I have had in the past, I don't know, a couple weeks. 
So I think giving yourself just permission to do something that you enjoy and not treating your own, not treating any art in your life like a chore that you have to get through, I think is super important. Yeah. No, that's so, so important. And just something I deeply needed to hear. So thank you. It's definitely been, <laughs> definitely been a valley as well. I think the summer. Um, I mean, have- like that happens, you know, mm-hmm. like you yeah, get but- into like seasonal ruts. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I think the writing process, like I always believed life was a little cyclical, but after going through the writing process and the creative process over these last few years, like life is so cyclical. Mm-hmm. And I need to do better about honoring that ebb and flow of it because it will. I think that's a key thing right there is honoring it or giving yourself permission to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think um, as artists, creative writers, we, uh, uh, push back against um, like a natural ebb and flow or, or writer's block as it is. Right. And I think like we vilify our own um, stumbling blocks or our own inability to produce um, with a lot of like disdain, shame, like all those bad words. Right. Yeah. And I think once you can give yourself permission to be in that ebb and flow and recognize that that ebb and flow happens, right. I think you can move through it instead of getting stuck in one place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just have to remind myself of that all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it was Brene Brown who maybe said like, you can't, out negative and negative feeling like mm. you can't out shame shame mm-hmm. you just have to let it come let it ebb let it flow and just honor it and move on so right and i think like another thing it, like comparison i don't know who said it comparison is the, th- the thief of joy right yes. um so when you start comparing yourself to what other people's writers experiences like that can fuck you up Oh gosh. Even <laughs> even comparing yourself to what you thought the indie mm. publishing experience will be. And if it's not that, that fucks you up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That will that will ruin your mindset quicker than anything. And then you're just in a rut. Yeah. 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 It's not great. So <laughs> yeah, it's not great sometimes. This is not it's not all fun and games. Yeah, never let it be said we write because it's easy. Um, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that is all of our time tonight. Um, well, all of our time for our regular episode. Um, so thank you so much, Amy, for joining us. This has oh, been thank so you. Much fun. This is and great. Actually, before we go though, how can readers connect or listeners and readers, I guess, connect with you? Where can we find you? Yeah. So I am Amy Nova Books pretty much everywhere. So if you search for me on Facebook, on TikTok, um, you'll find me under Amy Nova Books. Um, and my website is amynovabooks.com. And my private readers community is reamstories.com slash Amy Nova Books. Oh, I love it. And and for our listeners, don't worry. Like always, we'll have all those links here in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thank you again so much. Amy. Um, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thanks so much to our listeners for listening and supporting our podcast. If you are dying for more Amy Nova content, head on over to our Patreon for our exclusive behind the scenes questions. You can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes or at patreon.com backslash why choose reads podcast. See you next time.